Welcome to the Last Call, powered by Speakeasy. I'm your host, Jamie and Christian, and today we are joined by Terrence Munch Williams. Terrence is currently the Executive Director of Pro Scholar Athletes, or PSA. Terrence holds a bachelor's degree in sociology from Wesleyan University and also holds a master's in education in building leadership. Working for Teach for America directly out of college, he realized the impact he can make on his community in multiple ways. Through Team Scan and PSA, he has helped kids continue their education at the collegiate level. We're pleased to welcome Terrence Munch-Williams to the pod, a true ambassador of our game. Munch, welcome to The Last Call. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful, man. appreciate you having me, to be honest with you. This, man, should, be, I love, this should be awesome. Yeah, I love having you on here in this month of July when things are really getting going. I know your time is is taking up a ton. So, you know, what kind of things are you doing right now in preparation? Um, just talk our, our viewership a little bit through that. Yeah, we're doing a little bit of everything as a unit. Um, we're doing a lot of film watching of the opponents. We're doing film watching of, of ourselves. Um, we're doing a lot of strength and conditioning, trying to get these guys back into some type of shape. Um, before this heavy month of July, we're, we're trying to work out the kinks. So we're doing two a days. Um, we're doing two hours on the court, hour off, another two hours on the court. Uh, team bonding. We got one of our groups, the uh, 15U group. They was up at uh, one of our alumni houses. Um, Sam Gibbs' dad was nice enough to, to let those guys go up for about two days and stay on a farm and cook together, watch film together, um, hit the weight room together. So it was it was nice. It was um, we're just trying to keep those guys together. So for us, leading into the first games on the seventh, well, we we practice on the first, the second, the third. We're off on the fourth to enjoy the holidays. We come back on the fifth. And then we, we, if we get everything in that we need, we give those guys off on the sixth, um, and then we fly out the, the morning of the seventh, ready to go. Yeah, what what a what a really busy travel day getting down there. Do you fly through Atlanta or do you fly fly directly into? Um, we're going to so we're going to Kansas City first okay. from the seventh to the tenth. Um, then we come back for a few days, and then we go right back out um, and go Augusta the seventeenth to the twenty fourth. So yeah, it's always a, it was an interesting trip. So you guys will use Kansas City sort of to like that'll be like your rebel because that'll be the first time you guys have had a chance to play together as a unit since early June. Yes, um, we typically this is the last EYBL session, um, so we'll take all three groups, 15, 16, 17s, um, and then hopefully all three qualify for Peace Jam. I think we have a really good shot at, at that happening um, to be continued from this conversation. Uh, and, and we just get everything situated and, re and ready to go. So we the June month is heavy for us. A lot of guys are doing camps, um, whether that's elite camps for certain colleges, whether that's the MBPA camp, the Pangos camp, um, any elite camp these guys get their hands on, we send them to that. Uh, they're staying in the gym, working on their craft. They're finishing up school. Uh, and then some guys are doing a lot of the school stuff. There's two live periods in June that they're playing with their schools. So you're away for a month, but we're still kind of doing Zooms on a weekly basis, still doing phone calls on a daily basis, still doing text messages on a daily basis. And then most of our staff are still going to uh, see the guys at either the, the camps. We always have someone at the camps where they go. Um, so it's adult chaperoning. And then we'll always have um, coaches coming out to uh, see their guys at the, the, the high school events. So June is not necessarily an off month for us. Um, we're just not playing basketball. Yeah, what I what I want everyone to know is like you're always one of the best. I've always felt like at 
you know, get a guy to campus, team camp, elite camp. Like you're like such an encourager for for players to do that. Where sometimes you feel like there's a level of friction. You know, mm-hmm. why are you so giving in that in that way? I mean, I, and in my opinion, more giving than most coaches that I interact with during that time period. Why why do you why are you that way? Yeah, I mean, I learned a long time. The main thing has to stay the main thing, and for us, it's always going to be kids going to school for free, right? As far as the tuition is being paid, and those those camp those elite camps on, on on college campuses give give college coaches especially the head coach a chance to see you at a direct site for at least a day right you can walk around you can tour you can do things you can get familiar with them um but for me it's just opportunities the more opportunities that are open we want our guys to experience them at the utmost we don't want them sitting around we don't want them just kind of like you know playing a bunch of video games or or, or letting the month go by so we try to create a schedule that has versatility to it and and also meet guys at their level. So if we have five guys going to MBPA camp, that's a huge number. And if we have another six guys going to Pango's All-American camp, that's a, that's a huge number. But we have 30 guys that we need to worry about in the month of June. So if three, four, five guys are going to Columbia Elite Camp and three are going to Drexel Elite Camp and four are going to this other elite camp, like we need to keep them busy, right? And because if they're not busy and occupied, crazy things can happen, right? And the, you know, this is the summer, it's New York City, and it's not the most safest environment at all times. So the more we can keep them busy and keep tabs on them, the more opportunities they have to, to get these scholarships, but it's also posi- positioning us to sleep well at night knowing where they are. Yeah, uh, let's let's dive into, and again, I love your approach and, 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 you know, again, keeping the main thing, the main thing about the kids. I've always felt that with you. You've been always been amazing with that. Let's dive into just like your upbringing, how you got into, how you got into basketball all the way up to where you are now, just briefly. Yeah. Short synopsis. I mean, from the Bronx, New York, born and raised, um, two brothers, one sister, older, single parent mom for, in my opinion, <laughs> single parent mom. Growing up in the welfare era, um, crack cocaine time, uh, went to public school, you know, throughout high school in, in the Bronx. And then I matriculated over to Holderness School in New Hampshire for two years, which was what the boarding school. What was that experience like going over there for, for a couple of years? It was it was mind it was mind boggling. And, and, you know, I think it opened up the the Pandora's box to a lot of things that I'm that I learned about culture and race and ethnicity and, and you know, status quo. Um, you know, being one of one or two of the only African-Americans in a classroom, you know, at the time, you don't realize what's going on. Right. But then as you get older, you you learn like, oh, OK, I understand how I got here. I understand my purpose. But for me, it was the fork in the road for for me wanting to challenge myself academically. I became very competitive academically at that place. Right. It was it wasn't just an athlete. It, You know, you played basketball for about two hours a day, but then. I learned my study skills. I learned um, my my day to day structure. Even to this day, like if you if people that know me are like, hey, this guy's to the to the minute per day, right? Every day to the minute, something is scheduled. And I learned that in boarding school, every single minute was accounted for. You was responsible to be someplace or or doing some level of activity, whether it's studying, whether it's sports, whether it's you know extracurricular activity, whatever it was. Your your, your time was 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 uh, utilized in the right manner. So I think that was the place where I learned that. And that was the place where I learned how to, how to deal with other cultures. That was the location that I learned how to, um, 
learned my study habits, I um, and just everything that comes along with that. So it was it was productive. And whose decision was that? I mean, how was that process to 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 become an applicant there and make the decision to go there? Like, well, just walk us walk our audience a little bit through that. Yeah, I was in uh, it's a it's a program called SCAN, which stands for Supportive Children Advocacy Network. Um, it's a, it's a non for profit. It's like your local boys and girls club, right? Or YMCA. So I was there as a, as a youth, and um, Pete Barnum, the gentleman that's in charge of admissions at Holderness, had came come down. And we do we used to do weekly rap sessions, right? And in the weekly rap sessions, my mentor, um, Marsha Scipio, ran the rap session. She's a Yale graduate, and she would always challenge us to things. It was like co-ed boys and girls get different topics every week, and we and we would sit down and read articles and discuss the articles and kind of like you know um, talk through them. And the guy Pete Barnum sat in the in the rap session, and after the session, he told my mentor like, hey. I want, I want him to come to our school. And, you know, she told me like, Hey, this would be a great opportunity for you. You should, you should look into it. You should do it. And because I trusted her at that time with my life, um, I'm lucky, right? Like a lot of times you see guys having bad mentors or people that's straying them the wrong way for whatever reason. I was fortunate. Like my mentor was an educator who didn't care about basketball. Right. So, um, she took me up my first day, dropped me off and was like, hey, here's your new home. And the next thing I know, 15 minutes later, I'm in the woods for orientation for t- three straight days. And this is a kid from the inner city who's never left the city um, that I'm in. Literally, I'm. it's a, a culture shock, right? I'm, they tell you, hey, grab your, your toothbrush and some toilet paper and, and you're leaving. Like, I wasn't even on the campus for 15 minutes. I didn't even get a chance to get to the gym. So... I dropped my bags off and I got on, I got it. We were canoeing. And to this day, most people don't know, like canoeing is probably the, one of the happiest places I am when I'm doing that. So it's, it is all from that place. Um, t- tell, tell us a little bit about, number one, I'm a huge canoeer. So like, <laughs> I, I, like anytime, even the season ends, uh, I'm going to go find a lake and I'm going to go canoeing. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm going to go out there and put my cell phone down. That's like my happy place. So we share that. Tell That's me about the feeling of when they, when they said you're going to go in the woods for three days. Like, how did you, re, how did you respond to that? And at what point, and this is the point I really want to get to, at what point did you realize I'm, I'm going to figure this out? Um, I mean, the, the first part of the canoeing thing was like, it was happening in, in rapid refund, right? Like it was just going, it wasn't, no one gave me a chance to process. It was, hey, drop your bags, meet over there, and over there meant what? We're going where? And there was no 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 ability to question what was going on, right? So that just happened. And then when I got out there, your, your natural survival instinct starts to kick in, right? You get to meet people, you talk, you figure it out, you get through, right? And you figure out, this is hard, but how do I get through this? Like, you learn what really survival of the fittest meant. It's just a different structure of it. Um, the time when I knew like, all right, this is this is happening is back then they had pay phones and you, you used um, calling cards. So I had a calling card and I called home and my brother, my oldest brother answered the phone and I'm like crying profusely like, hey, I'm coming home. This is crazy. You know, nobody looks like me. I don't know what's going on. I want to come home. And he's like, come home to what? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, come home to what? Like you're sleeping on the floor. There's, there's two cushions, you're on the floor, there's no air condition, there's nothing. Like you're living in 
and, and shit at the moment, excuse my language. So what are you coming home to? And then I was like, oh, he's right. I at least got a bed here, right? Like it was that type of, you know, and my mom did the best she can. And now we're fortunate she's independent and things are a lot better. But at that time growing up, it was, you know, tough. You know, my sister, my brother, we're, we're exchanging, you know, he's sleeping in a chair without the cushions and I'm sleeping on the floor with the cushions and my sister's sleeping on a cot with a newborn baby in the living room and my mom's in the room, right? It's a one bedroom apartment in the Bronx. So my brother was adamant about, yeah, you coming home to nothing. Like whatever you think is bad there is nowhere close to what, we, what we've been growing up in. So I, I, you know, hats off to him because I don't think if I didn't have that conversation with him, I would have realized like, hey, you need to figure this out. Right, you need to figure this out. You got some food here. You got, you got shelter. It's, it's safe. You're okay. Figure it out. So that was the call that that kind of like put me back in line. God, don't we all need that person in our life that just Man. tells us the the black and white of the situation that has the ability to get through to us? Man, so 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 raw and 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 straightforward. Like you're sleeping on the floor with no food in the house. Where are you coming back to? Right. And at that point, you wipe the tears out your eyes and start walking around saying, OK, I got to figure this thing out. Yeah. You know, but yeah, look, yeah. like I said, to have the right mentors and right family to, to to not be yes men at that time. Right. My mentor, she was she was at, like, what are you talking about? Go sit down, figure it out. Right. And yeah. kudos to her and my family at the time. You know, they didn't really know where I was going. Right. They never visited. They didn't. We didn't have like, a, you know, how most kids have a visit before. <laughs> And yeah. you get the you get to decide. It was like, no, this is where you act, make a habit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that was yeah. good. You know, it's funny. I mean, and we'll get back to your journey a little bit here, but I think this is like a really important piece. Um, you know, every year there's these guys that get drafted and they have this opportunity going to to the NBA draft or NFL draft, whatever. And I always worry that they don't have that person in their life. Yeah. You know, um, to just tell them the truth when they need to hear it. Because oftentimes, oftentimes for athletes, they find the truth when they're in a house that's empty by themselves when everything's kind of gone, you know, Um, do you, and again, we'll get back to your journey. You know, you've had a lot of guys play professionally. How do you help them with their inner circle? Yeah. I mean, I think the big thing for me is to be truthful. Right. And I think you can only give, 100% 100% authenticity when you don't ask them for anything financial. So what I mean by that is most times when guys make the league, there's some people, you know, that's telling them, cut off everybody, right? Anybody that think you owe, get away from them, change your phone number, um, just just continue to move forward, right? Without, as if they didn't exist. With me, I'm never calling those guys asking for anything financially. But they know when they call me, you're going to get both sides of the coin, right? <laughs> and that's the same as when they go to when they're in college. Those are the conversations when they're in the league. Those are the conversations. Are you giving back to your community? Are you are you eating right? Are you sleeping, sleeping right? What are you doing with your time? Are you the first person in the gym? Are you the last person out the gym? Why haven't you put on this many pounds? Um, you know what? You know, what are you investing in? What are you reading? Like these are the conversations we're having adult conversations because they know I don't need them for, yeah. for anything financially. So 
as long as you can keep that and you don't quote unquote work for them, they're going to take your, your opinion valid um, with some type of like it being valid because they know you want the best for them. Right. And they know you're not going to just yes, man, them to death because a lot of times the people around them are going to do that because they're scared. Like, Hey, if I tell this kid or tell this young man something he doesn't want to hear, they're going to cut me off. So as long as you're in a position where, you know, you're not working for them, you, you can tell them the truth. Now, the flip side to that is when things get difficult, they tend not to want to answer the phone. Because <laughs> they know that that conversation is going to be, as I call it, Michael Jackson, man in the mirror, right? It's going to be some self-reflection. It's going to be not allowed. You're not going to be allowed to watch another man's plate. You're not going to have all these these built-in excuses and not have solutions to the problem. So we're trying to figure out solutions. So I can always tell when someone's ducking you because they know that conversation of someone you respect is trying is, is trying to have that. So for them, it's difficult, right? Because they don't want to let you down. They don't want to, you know, if you put a lot of work in with these guys, they want to make you proud, right? And not on the court, off the court. Like anybody know me, I'm not going to a ton of NBA games. I'm not going to the green room. I'm not going to the draft. Like I'm not doing all of that stuff, but I will go to lunch with you. I will hang out with you. I will talk to you, all of those things. But our conversation has to be continued growth. So all the guys who are one and done, it's a lot of text messages saying, hey, how close are you to your degree? Are you back in school? Things that, that matter to me and, and it's connected to my legacy. Like, I don't care about, hey, we got nine, 10 NBA guys. I'd rather say, hey, we had 100% guys that went to college, got a college degree. That's important to me. So they know how oh, much going to be on my nerves about finishing that last class. And it'll be random Texas, two o'clock in the morning. You know, did you finish? And they'll be annoyed, but they know it's coming from a loving place. And then they learn to give back without me asking. Yeah, and that's so good. I mean, because statistically, we know, statistically, we know, we know that, you know, when someone, when the first person goes to college, what it does for the rest of the generations. So having that opportunity and being able to maximize it and what it means for the generations after are so important. Um, so, so let's, let's dive back in. So you're, you go to boarding school, you're there for two years. Yeah. Yeah. Two years at boarding school, you finish there. And then what's next? Wesleyan university, uh, Middletown, Connecticut. And, and my reasoning was simple. I wanted to go somewhere I could play basketball, get closer to home. Right. I'm, I'm a big time mama's man at the time was mama's boy. Um, and that was important, like being close enough to get home. Um, and man, I just wanted to see some people that look like me. And, <laughs> you know, when I got into the school, I had no idea how prestigious it was academically until I got my acceptance letter in boarding school where I seen other kids have a sense of jealousy and animosity because that was a school they grew up and their parents shooting for. Right. And I kind of got in you know, obviously through academics and athletics. But then when I got older, I'm like, oh, this school actually is something, right? It's something in the real world where you can have conversations. And when someone asks you, hey, where'd you go to school? And you say Wesley University, the conversation gets equal. It gets it gets serious. People are like, oh, okay, you, we can really talk now, right? Yeah. So yeah, it was Wesley University for four years. 
I love it. And then, you know, so you, you, you play there. Why did you decide to get into to youth basketball? Yeah. I mean, I always feel like basketball and education has been the two things that I've always gravitated to or, or has gravitated to me, right? Like I was doing Teach for America um, and then I was coming back to that same program, the stand program and, you know, coming in there and I remembered it being $57 and 11 cents was what they were paying me to coach like one of the groups every two weeks. And I would take that check and put it back into the group. And at the time I was doing Teach for America. So I was going to grad school. I was going to, I was working as a teacher and coaching. Um, and I was in a relationship and I was back home with the friends. So trust me, my plate was a thousand percent, but I love basketball. So I, and I knew what basketball could do for the kids in my community. So going back there was like perfect. It wasn't, at that time, it wasn't necessarily AAU kids. It was just the local guys in a six, seven block radius that would come in there every day and, and do some after school activities and grind out on the basketball court. And that's kind of how I got back into it. Yeah. Let, let's, let's go back. Teach for America. Tell me about that. Tell me about the decision to jump into Teach for America, uh, where, where you were teaching there. And, and just let's dive into Teach for America. I think it's a, one of the best programs out there that I don't think gets as much publicity as it should. And I think it yeah. always really shines and gives people great perspective. Yeah. I mean, Teach for America, we had, a, um, what do they call it? Like a re, uh, job resource center. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, I went in there one day and I'm like, you know what I cannot do after graduation is go back. Same thing, right? I cannot go back home without a job. Like I would look like a failure. Four years in college, prep school. I did all this stuff and I come back to the block and the same guys are there. But now I'm about to be there without a job, right? I'm about to be heading back home to that same one-bedroom apartment. That can't happen. So no matter what happens, I'm like, you know what? My senior year, I stopped playing. I'm like, you know what? Enough of this basketball. I got to go get a real job. So I go into the office, and someone's like, I think based on who you are and what you want to do, you should try this program. And I'm like, okay. And I fill out the application, and then I realize, like, Hey, this is like a six to seven step process to, to get this done. Like, I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm doing it. And I'm past the first stage and I'm past the second stage. And, you know, I end up getting into the program and once again, learning how big it was after I, I've achieved the goal. Right. And they give you a couple options of where you can teach at. Like, Hey, do you want to go to DC? What's your, what's your first three st- um, states? So I'm like, all right, New York, DC, whatever, Chicago. Right. But I knew I wanted to be in New York. So we did the the um, the orientation in New York at Fordham University. I'm loving it. I'm like, oh, I'm back home. The friends is coming up to campus. I'm doing like, I'm, I'm, I'm basically in the middle. Like I'm, I'm being a hoodlum and I'm being an educator, right? <laughs> like I'm just in the middle. So leanness to say, I do it. And then I teach first grade. And I'm like, you know, no matter how many books they give you to read, I'm falling on my face. I'm like, oh, this is difficult. Like. I have no clue. And then I start analyzing and I'm like, okay, I need to get this together because one, I'm a male. So in that community, most kids don't see a positive male role model, right? Into maybe high school, right? If you got if you're looking at your local drug dealer or your local gangbanger or whatever it is, or your, you know, in it, the dad is not around. So I'm that example, right? So I'm like, oh wow, at seven years old, six years old, these kids are looking at me like, what is a man supposed to look like? What, how's he supposed to carry himself? So I learned that and started taking that serious. Then I'm like, okay, well, this is the part that I don't like about Teach for America. 
they take the least qualified people, right, coming out of college, and they put you in the most difficult environments, the lowest functioning environments, right? So I'm in a neighborhood that I know everyone, right? These people that I'm walking around in the street, they know me because I'm I'm from this neighborhood in a sense, right? The Bronx. Mm -hmm. So I'm upset because I'm like, hey, I got to get myself together because I got to break this mold, right? I got to be the guy that doesn't stay for only two years, right? You get your degree because Teach for America pays for it. Right. So you go down, you get your degree while you're in school, you get your, um, your teacher's license, and then most of them leave, right? Because it's difficult, right? Behavior, you learn it on the job, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm like, oh, no, I got to figure this out. So my first year was terrible. My second year hit a home run, and then I kept, like, mastering the trade. And then I was able to do that while doing the coaching. So I'm growing at the time, man. Like, I'm learning how to have a regular job. I'm learning how to coach. I'm doing a bunch. I'm learning how to be a boyfriend. I don't, listen, the, the world was moving fast, yeah. right? That's how kind of I fell into that, just like, and it worked. Like, I got back to New York to my roots. I was able to help some kids that looked like me. Um, I was able to, to, to face a challenge, and I was able to start to comprehend what was going on around me. And I got and I got the degree for free. Yeah. How important was it, you know, as an educator to be able to to speak the language? It, it to be one of them for them to see you. I mean, I feel like that was a major advantage for you as an educator. It was it was it was huge because like my classroom, once I got it, we ran that thing like like the way you see PSA, structured, straight to the point, you know, procedures were in place and guys were functioning at a high high level. Both I mean, they were functioning on a second, mid almost third grade level. Because we're learning multiplication, division, because we didn't spend much, much time on behavior. We, we got it down packed. And I explained to them, like, hey, I'm here for you 24 hours a day. Um, but there's nothing you going through in your house that I didn't go through. Like, when you start talking about, hey, you know, my mom and dad can't help me with my homework. Well, guess what? Stay later with me. We're going to knock out this. And then you can go home. They could pick you up at 5. Right? Or I, I eliminated any excuses they had. Because I told them my story. Like, look. I know them roaches that you have in your house because I had those in mind, right? I know the in and out, the door um, slamming left and right with the local crackhead coming in and out because I had it in mind. So, like, our conversation, even though they were six years old, it lent itself to saying, hey, we're not having any excuses in this room. When you yes. come in this room, we're gonna we're in a safe haven. There's no fighting. There's no yelling. It's all business. And we, we, we enjoy learning. And if you learn, you know, little kids, everything is new. So it's yeah. always, if you make it fun, they're going to stay intrigued by what's coming next. And that's kind of like how we went about it. And the parents respected me because, shit, at that time, I was their age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that's a that's a great that's a great combination you had working there. You know, and, and at the same time, you're learning more. Yeah. You know, you're learning more about the environment that you grew into from a expertise standpoint. You yeah. know, I mean, I think that's. That's amazing. Um, so we move into, you know, moving to PSA and, you know, obviously now everyone knows where you guys are now, you know, one of the top programs in the nation, great players every single year, guys are really well disciplined, do what they're supposed to do. Talk to me about the origins of it. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it was four of us. We all went to Wesleyan that started this, this journey together. Andre Charles, Justin Ware, rest in peace. Uh, my God, Jason Ford passed away in March. Um, mm -hmm. We didn't, we didn't, yeah, sorry, thank you. We didn't uh, design this while we was in school. We just happened to all four go to the same university. And then when we came out, I started coaching. And then I called um, Jason and said, hey, I need your help. And then he came and was dealing with the bigs and 
we called Justin, and Justin came on, and then Andre Charles came on. He was last, so really those four. It's kind of like the four horsemen, and then honestly, we we pick. We have such a great. I don't even call them staff, like great family, right? I think one of the things with us and AAU is the challenging part and the good part is these are really my brothers, right? Like these are my friends, like friends, friends through and through. So it started with one group and we, we wanted to kind of like make sure the roots were strong and make sure the foundation was right and grow it in the, in the, the right manner. So we started with a sixth grade group. Um, and then those guys, when they moved up to seventh, and then moved up to eighth, we started bringing a younger group underneath them because we used them, those guys as role models. I think today most people say, hey, wh where's the action at? The action's in 17s, the action's at 16s. College coaches is up there. Everybody's in a rush to do that. But we were lucky enough to kind of like get a good group of kids, have them doing a lot of academics, start placing guys in junior boarding schools in seventh grade and boarding schools in eighth or ninth grade. And then we kind of learned what was going to be our lane but our lane was so much different than everyone else's lane, right? For better or for worse. We weren't doing the traditional AAU runs. We were kind of like, hey, if we play in this tournament, we're going to call the seven boarding schools in the area to come watch us. And then we're going to start the application process to get these kids from their local PS13 to the Faith School or the Hill School or Rectory School. Like, we were kind of like, hey, how can we get this better education as soon as possible with using basketball? So the same thing... People have live periods now for the, for the colleges to see them. We were basically creating live periods every weekend with our middle school for, for, for boarding schools, <laughs> right? So that's kind of how it started. And then we just kept adding the right pieces, the right people, the right kids, the right families. And then that group, the 2014 class, um, those guys were the role models to how we wanted things to operate, both on and off the court. Yeah, who are some of the players, you know, obviously – I know, but for our listeners, who are some of the players that kind of came along when you started recognizing, man, we're really going to be able to not just help these kids all get educated and progress, but we're a really fortifiable, fortifiable basketball program. Yeah, I think I think we were winning a ton, and then Chris McCullough came along, right? Brooklyn Nets, first-round pick, one-and-done Syracuse. He came in like ninth grade. We had the kid, Shabar Newkirk. He was a uh, singles. He went to St. Joe's. We had um, Terry Laria, the top 50 kid, went to VCU, then UConn. Um, and then we had Naeem Thomas and Conrad Chambers was like a really big, big, big time get for us. Kid out of Philly, out of Chester. So like mm -hmm. that opened the door to, hey, these guys aren't just getting the kids from right here. It's, it's, and he fit what we, what we were doing. And then Quincy McKnight, um, Cian Hall graduate, he, he was from Connecticut. And he, he came along, but they all fit what we were trying to do, like their families and how we operated. And then, man, we had the team. It was, you know, Austrian Robinson went on to Ole Miss for football. Um, you know, this kid named Adayinka Adams, uh, Joel Villa. Um, like I said, Naeem, it, 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 Eric Long, he went to, um, to uh, Philly U, graduated with like two degrees. But we were, we were, we were kicking ass, like, yeah. you know taking numbers but I think we were young and then when people realized like hey this is the best team in New York which meant you were probably one of the top teams top 10 teams in the country we had size we had guards and we played together right like we played hard we played together and then that was the 2014 group and we went down to like a, a bull Williams and like ran through everything like everybody that people said was good kind of killed them killed like the soldiers one year in Vegas by like 40 
And then when Nike came calling, they called us. Like we didn't even, and that's the thing that's different now. Like everyone searches for a sneaker deal. We were doing things the right way and people were noticing to the point where the moons and the stars aligned, right? A couple other programs in the area were, were on a downswing and then we were on the upswing and we were young and energetic. And then they called us like, hey, do you guys want a deal? And we're like, all right, let's sit down and talk about it, <laughs> right? Like, what does it mean, right? Yeah. And we decided to get free t-shirts because we're selling candy and raffle tickets and and car washes. And, you know, we were wearing the, the D-Wade Converse and, man, Starberries. We, we, listen, we, we're fortunate now, but we we went through it. Well, I appreciate you taking the time on last call here, here Munch, man. You've been amazing and and uh, my final question for you is this. You've got you've got two you got two seats at the table and you've got to fill that with a retired person, can be basketball, non-basketball, or a person who's actively working. Who are you filling those two seats with? Um retired. The first person basketball wise would be it would be Mike, Michael Jordan. Why, Mike? I, I, I just think his level of competitiveness wasn't just on the court. It was off. So, like, being around someone of that nature that can explain what was going on in his head um, can kind of take you to the next level of, like, when things aren't happy or when things aren't easy or when things for, – for the long haul, like Mike did a lot of years. And how do you stay mentally focused for that many years – even when you're not winning, right? So I think it would be Mike at one seat. I think Obama would be the second seat, right? Yeah, like, why? why Obama? To be the first, right? African American president. Like, <laughs> the I just want the amount of pressure, right? That daily you had to have, and just to be able to hear the stories that they can't share, right? Like these real life incidences that occurred in which they had to handle it in a certain way, but how would you have really handled it if you had the choice? Like like all of the political nonsense that goes on, like how did you navigate that, right? And still stays who you are, right? Like not change and be and and, and lose lose your soul in that position. So I mean, those are powerful individuals. Um, yeah, those are those are those are people you would pay to to sit down and talk to. Yeah, so many people lose their soul on the way to achieving the position they want to achieve, and yeah. the ones that we admire the most found a way not to do that. Yeah. So much. I appreciate you taking the time today. I'm wishing you the, the best of luck in July. Hopefully, our, our paths across in July. Thanks for joining us on Last Call. All right, Jay, my man. I'll see you soon. All right. Thanks, my friend. I appreciate you so much. Bye, soon.